right, so for those of you who do not know Amelia, this is Amelia Brink, and she's here from South Africa. And um, she's training for missions work to go to Papua New Guinea to join the cans that are from our body and to join the Mitchells, who were here and now they're back in uh, South Africa right now waiting for their visa. Um, she'll be going into uh, the Maoriro tribe where the cans and dods were, and the cans are here now on uh, sabbatical, but they'll all be going back to continue the work there. And she's going to talk to us a little bit about that work. But they are there to make disciples of Christ. And um, it's a place where the gospel has never been heard, where God's word is not in writing there, if you can believe that. We have it everywhere. We have it in our, on our phones. We have it just... We have access, and um, they barely are, they don't even have a written language at this point. They have an alphabet because of the cans and God's grace now, or the beginning of an alphabet. So um, maybe Amelia will talk a little bit more about that. Um, so we're just going to start with some questions. We talked about these questions, so if you see us referring. We talked about what <laughs> questions we wanted to ask, but I, yeah. So we're, we're going to do a little impromptu, though, right? All right. So Amelia. How did you become interested in missions, and um, specifically um, in the work of Papua New, at Papua, in Papua New Guinea? So, um, after the Lord saved me, he worked in my heart a great passion for unreached people groups. Um, firstly, for family and friends, just that I really wanted to share the gospel with. And I started to search the scriptures to get to know the gospel better and to see how evangelism looks in the scriptures. And I was reading 1 Corinthians 15, verse 31 to 34, the one day, where Paul says, If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Then he charges them and says, Wake up from your drunken stupor, as is right, and do not go on sinning, for some have no knowledge of God. I say this to your shame. So when I read that scripture, <laughs> I was really challenged by Paul's lifestyle and his sober-mindedness and just knowing that people are going to be raised from the dead and then they're going to face um, Judgment. So they're either going to be found in Christ or they are going to hell. And that reality just really struck my heart very, very hard. <laughs> so um, I desire to be more like Paul and just being concerned about people's soul, souls. And specifically where he says that some have no knowledge of God, that was really um, concerning for me. Like there's people out there who don't have knowledge of God. They don't know God. And like Roman 10 says, if people don't go to share the truth of them, they will never know God. They can't believe in him in whom they have not heard, and they can't hear if someone doesn't preach to them. So um, just in, in thinking about that, the Lord really used scripture and time to work in my heart, a great desire for people who haven't heard yet. I read biographies like it was candy. <laughs> I loved reading all numerous kinds of biographies, specifically of unreached people groups. And um, I used to sit at the beach and I would look at the ocean and I would just be like, Lord, if the ocean can just swallow me in and spill me out on an island, you know, and I can like learn a strange language and start, you know, teaching the gospel to them, climb a coconut tree. And <laughs> so, um, 
my imagination just sprang booster. So when the decision came, when I finished um, high school, the decision came where I had to, you know, the life-threatening question of what are you going to do with your life? So I really looked into missions work and then Smedley came to South Africa. Um, for a conference in South Africa, which is my home country. And he spoke about Papua New Guinea. So I was like, man, I have to speak to this guy. So I charged after Smedley. And, um, <laughs> and that's, um, long story short, how I came here after my elders and my parents approved that I can um, pursue missions work in the Maoraro tribe. I get this every day. Isn't that amazing? She lives with us, and we are just so blessed to get to know her, and we've grown to love her so much. So here you are. You're going with the Mitchells, um, and you all, you've met the Mitchells. Um, uh, how did you meet the Mitchells, and how did that connection happen? So when Smetty came to South Africa for the conference, um, the Mitchells were there as well. We heard it at a different occasion, but they were there as well. I didn't know the Mitchells then, so my home pastor knew them. They're from a neighboring church of ours, so our pastor was in contact with them, and he said, I have to meet the Mitchells. They're also interested in going to Papua New Guinea. So um, we met, and we immediately liked one another and started working on logistics and the possibility of forming a team and working together. That's good. So um, when will you be going? How long will you be there? So we'll be leaving. The Mitchells are in South Africa now. They left a couple of weeks back. Um, I'm heading back to South Africa in December, in the beginning of December. And then our plan is to leave by the end of January next year. But we're still waiting for the Mitchells' visas to be approved. So we can really be praying for that as well. So we're hoping to leave end of January next year, 2018. Uh, your visa was approved. Yes. It's a little bit easier visa to get yeah. than theirs, right? Yeah. How long will she be there? So, um, how oh. long? Yeah. So, um, the plan is to be there between six and eight years. Um, our desire is to see a mature church, like the Great Commissionary says, you know, teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. That's that's part of our work there. It's not just sharing the gospel and leaving the people there for themselves. So. Um, the time frame is therefore uncertain. We have to measure as time goes on, but the, the possible time frame is between six to, up to six and eight years. So that's how long I'm planning to be there with the team. Okay. Um, and so what will you be doing? Okay. <laughs> I, um, <laughs> I will... Um, our plan thus far, because the cans are like two years ahead, is to catch up with them. Um, in language learning and culture learning because they're almost finished like at the point where they can start preaching the gospel where they know the language well enough. So we would have to race to, to catch up with them. Um, and our desire is to not put the gospel on hold but to be um, like a supporting role for them um, and not to that they wait until we catch up so that we can like be there. So we desire to support them as best we can. Um, so point-wise, is the, the first responsibility will be to learn the language and the culture, and um, then to sit in the chronological teaching as they start teaching through the Bible up to the Gospels, and to spend time with the people and to make sure that they understand what they hear. So we'll be sitting there and observing the people and spending time with the ladies and just reflecting, do they understand what they've heard? Um, and then um, I really have a heart for young ladies, 
So um, my primary role will be to work with the children and the young ladies there. So um, I will be discipling them, helping to disciple the young ladies in the village. And then in scripture translation, Ryan and Zach will be our scripture translators. But there's finer aspects of that as well, which will be involved in both me, Alma and Cassidy. And um, then also to help Alma and Cassidy with some of the burdens that they're carrying to um, help with homeschooling the children and to prepare meals and stuff like that so that we share some of the responsibility. Um, All right, so do you foresee any challenges for you specifically and how can we be praying for you? Okay, so um, I think the hardest thing is being separated obviously from family and friends and the home church. (laughs) So really just be praying that um, my heart will be content in those circumstances always and that we will, all of us, will joyfully work um, as for the Lord. Um, So just be Mm y'all praying that um, we would um, just love the Lord as we do our our work and um, joyfully make any sacrifices which lays lies before us and um, also for us because we'll also be a church we say we get to pick our you know church body (laughs) so um, just be praying that we would love one another well as we live very tightly and closely to one another that we would um, communicate well and love one another well Um, so that'll be um, I think and then also wellspring stuff um, (laughs) to put my heart always first um, I think sometimes you feel overwhelmed by just the reality of the people's souls there. Um, so just like you want to move ahead, you want to move ahead, you want to move ahead. But always just to remember that our heart is first, then our home, and then our ministry. So that we'll just be faithful in shepherding our own hearts. Mm-hmm. That's good. Um, when you talk about your living environment, share real quickly like where you'll be living and the space. Oh, so... Um, I'll be living with the Mitchells in the Dodds home. So I'll basically be a member of their family, which I'm very grateful for that I don't have to live by myself. <laughs> so, um, and our tribe is about between 300 and 400 people. Um, it is located in a very isolated place. Finister Mountains literally means the end of the earth. <laughs> so, um, so we'll be in a very like uh, isolated place. So helicopters will come in occasionally to do supply runs. And yeah, that yeah. is where we're located. It's very beautiful. <laughs> so come and visit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she'll be living um, in the Dodds home. So there's a family of four and Amelia, three bedroom, one bath home that they'll all be sharing in very tight quarters. (laughs) And so, you know, we're very kind of of spoiled. We have hardwood floors, so we're very beautiful, beautiful hardwood floors. So when we talk about Maui Roro and we talk about the Finister Mountains, so how many um, people groups have been reached and how many. are left. So um, the Finister Mountains has 70 tribes, like people, uh, your tribes, and 53 of them are still unreached, meaning they're without the scriptures there and um, without ever hearing the gospel. Um, 
And Mawaroro is one tribe amongst the 53, and it's 400 people amongst 2.5 billion people that are still considered unreached in the world. So the need's still very, very great. <laughs> um, if you look at, like, one of my favorite passages is Mar uh, Matthew 9, verse 36 to 38, which just speaks about Jesus' compassion. Um, you know, it says, He looked at the crowds and he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And then he looked to his disciples and he said, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of harvest that he may send laborers into his harvest. So pray, because <laughs> there's still a lot, a lot of people who need to hear the gospel. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. Thank you. Um, okay, we have time for one last question. <laughs> Um, and you guys might be wondering this too. I don't know. There seems there might be this big elephant in the room. Amelia is 18, almost 19. You plan on being there for about six to eight years. And so the question that many wonder is, what about marriage? Do you want to be married? If so, how are you doing with that? How's your heart in that? What are your thoughts in that? Can you share? Um, so, <laughs> my sister got married four years back, so um, when she got married, I really struggled with contentment. I wanted a boyfriend, I felt lonely, I was angry at the Lord because it feels like he wasn't doing good to me, and really struggled with my heart. And the Lord was very gracious during that time period to point out um, what was going on in my heart and pointed out my heart being discontent and not trusting his goodness in all circumstances. I remembered I once heard a pastor said that two uncontent individuals doesn't make a happy marriage. <laughs> and <laughs> that just pointed out, you know, the whole error in my thinking of being deceived and thinking that if circumstances change, then I will be happy. I was um, reading a book during that time period because, honestly, contentment felt impossible to me, like... How on earth can we be content in, in different circumstances, hard circumstances and challenges? And I was reading, um, the book was basically um, on just how to be content. So I was reading Philippians 4 verse 11 to 13, which really changed my life, where it says, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So, when, you know, when contentment felt impossible during that time period, it's not about winning the football game, you know. It's, it's about we can be content through God who gives us strength to be content. Um, and also during that time period, I realized that just as a, a married woman has... Uh, responsibility and uh, command from the Lord to submit to her husband and to respect and rever her husband and to love her children. God also has a place for a single lady. He has a role which he has, um, you know, set out for single ladies. And um, that's First Corinthians 7 verse 34 where he said, The unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and in spirit. So it was the put off on discontentment and being content and the put on of realizing, wait, there, there is a place um, for us to be. So I, I pray during that period that God may make me anxious about these things, that I may be found a faithful single woman. Um, 
and just knowing how to best serve them. So by God's grace, um, currently there's no scurrying around for different kinds of circumstances. Um, but it is still a fight. It's not like done deal, flip the switch, and now I'm there. <laughs> it's a continuous um, process of guarding my thoughts, guarding my heart, and um, just being aware of where I'm at currently and continuing to tell myself that I can be content in any and every circumstance. So our prayer is that she would continue to be content, that she would trust the Lord, and that this amazing pilot flies in. (laughs) Yeah. But if that doesn't happen, <laughs> thank you. So, Amelia, when when are you leaving the states? Okay, so um, I'm leaving here for Washington D.C. on the second of December. Um, my brother-in-law's parents live there, and my brother-in-law and my sister is going to visit. So they asked if I can visit them for nine days before I go back to South Africa. Mm-hmm. So I'm leaving here on the second of December. And then you can pray for me. It's like my daughter now, that a daughter I have. my American mom. (laughs) Yeah. So um, I want you all to experience the. just a blessing that Amelia has been in my life and in all of our lives. So she's here for a short time. Um, Honestly, she loves to go out and talk about the gospel and about Jesus. And so do not hesitate to give her a Give her a call, touch base with her. She'll give you the time when she can. She studies hard. And uh, so she, she, you would be totally willing. Yes. And I encourage you, get to know her. This is just a little, a little bit of uh, the flavor and the conversations that I have the privilege of having on a daily basis. So, yeah. Let's pray for Amelia. Father, we do lift Amelia and the team up to you, Lord. We pray that they would be careful in guarding their hearts above all else. The work is hard. It's physically hard. It's spiritually hard. It's um, just something that most of us haven't experienced. And so, Lord, I pray for your grace to all of them. Thank you that you have worked mightily in Amelia's heart. You saved her. You, you, um, she has her word written in your heart. She loves you. She wants to live for you. And so, Lord, I pray that she would continue to guard her heart above all else and that you, Father, would be um, just made much of within their small body of believers. And then as they work and labor for the gospel uh, to go to these people, Lord, that you would do that work, that you would save many, and that you would build your church there in Maui Roro. Thank you that we can trust you totally and that they trust you totally. And um, just, Lord, we pray that you would um, just bring more workers uh, to the field. And it's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thanks, Amelia. Oh, yeah, never mind. Okay, Anne.
Good morning, ladies. Thank you for having me. Um, I see a lot of faces I haven't met, and then I see some that I've known for years. I'm Ann Angstead. Um, I don't know. I'm one of the old ladies at the church. <laughs> when Tom and I came here, my, and my husband's one of the elders, when we came here, like... I don't know if it's 13 years ago, 15 years ago, whenever it was. I was 45, and I was, like, the oldest woman at the church, which was weird. <laughs> but everybody's, we've all gotten old together, and it's been, I mean, now, like, all, all these girls are turning 40, and I'm just like, I remember that. <laughs> I, and, I, and I love watching them. And I'm like, I have glasses for you. <laughs> so, anyway, so thank you for having me. Um, it is really my privilege um, to be here. So let's pray, and then, then we'll get started and jump into the lesson. Father, thank you for being our God. Thank you that you are our Father, that you love us that you care for us, that you sent your son to die for us, and you sent your spirit to live within us, to help us to be more like Christ. Lord, I do pray that today's lesson will be an encouragement and just a help um, to each lady here. Thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to start by asking you to think about something. Some definitions of some words. And there are young girls in here, so that's really good. What does dab mean? Is it to take a cotton ball and dab something? Or is it, okay, this is where I'm going to humiliate myself. Where is it? This. A dance move, okay? Okay. Emoji. Okay. If you ask somebody like 30 years ago, what's an emoji they got? I don't know. It's something that happened in the 90s. It's found out it's a combination of two Japanese terms like something character. Text. Okay. Is that that thing you do on your phone when you're driving that you're not supposed to? It is now against the law, I think. Or is it words on a page? Well, around here, we have a term. It's called shepherding your heart. How many ladies, this is your first time going through Wellspring? Okay, and how many people have been at Grace Bible Church under, well, because I know, like you girls, you grow up. You grew up and have heard shepherding your heart. But some of you are new, and so my assumption is that gets thrown out very easily. We talk about shepherding our hearts all the time, and sometimes we need to step back and understand what exactly does that mean. Often, when we hear the term shepherding our heart, we're talking about reading our Bible, spending time with the Lord, a quiet time. That's another Christian, you know, quiet time. What does that mean? You've given the kids Benadryl so they're asleep? (laughs) (laughs) 
oftentimes shepherding my heart is talking about or referring to a set time spent with the Lord. So I just wanted to break down these terms because I think it might help. So a definition of a shepherd is a person who herds, tends, and guards sheep. A person who protects, guides, or watches over a person or group of people. A member of the clergy, a pastor. It's often used of Jesus. It's also a verb to tend or guard as a shepherd. And the one that I really liked was to watch over carefully. So that's what shepherd is. And then our heart. Are we talking about our, our thumper? Or are we talking about our inner man? Not a, not a piece of me, not just my hand or my arm, but me. It includes our thoughts, our desires, our opinions, our emotions, our attitudes. It's me. My heart, it's me. It's you. It's the control center of the human being. So if we put it together, shepherding my heart means to tend, guard, and watch over carefully my thoughts, my heart, my mind, my soul. So today we're going to look at two different aspects of heart shepherding. We're going to look very quickly at that quiet time heart shepherding. And then the rest of the time, where we live most of our lives and where we spend most of our time. So why do we read our Bible? Why do we shepherd our hearts when our Bible is open? As Scott Maxwell says, we come to the Word of God to meet with the God of the Word. That's why we do that. That's why we spend time in God's word. And why do we come before the Lord with our Bibles open? Well, Jesus tells us in John 17, 3, and this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So as we're shepherding our hearts with our Bibles open, we want to grow in our knowledge of God, of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We want to grow in expressing our love for God. We want to grow in our enjoyment and delight in God. We want to grow in our fear and reverence for God. I want to grow in my understanding of my need for God. I want to grow in my relationship with God. And I want to grow in holiness. And that is not an exhaustive list. We could keep going. Um, I want to share something about Bible reading. And this comes from one of my favorite old dead guys, J.C. Ryle. This was written like in the, um, I think the eight. 1800s, and he's talking about Bible reading in this chapter. Um, This is just walking with God, and he goes through all kinds of different, you know, let me me just, uh, self-examination, effort, reality, prayer, Bible reading, love, zeal, and, and so this is just one of those things that he talks about that I thought 
really kind of encapsulates why we should read our Bibles. And he says, this is in the concluding chapter on, on Bible reading. He says, begin reading your Bible today. Good intentions are not enough. You must actually begin to read. Read the Bible with an earnest desire to understand it. Reading without understanding will do you no good. Read the Bible with childlike faith and humility. You must submit to it, not sit in judgment upon it. Read the Bible with the intention to obey it, applying it to yourself. It must affect the way you live your life. Read the Bible every day. This, he nailed me on this one. You like to eat food daily, and the Bible is the food of your soul. Read the whole Bible and read it systematically. You have no right only to read your favorite portions. Interpret the Bible in a simple, straightforward manner. The simplest and most obvious interpretation is normally the correct one. Read the Bible with Christ constantly in mind. Even in reading the Old Testament, try to understand how it points forward to him. I firmly believe that if you will act upon these principles, God will not let you misunderstand the way to heaven. The time that we spend with the Lord in his word builds that foundation for the rest of the time. And as we know, there's lots of different methods of how you spend time with the Lord. Think of all the different reading plans. It's not like God's word says you must read it this way right now. I mean, we don't have that, but we are we need to spend time in God's word. So the principle is that we worshipfully spend time with the Lord in his word. The method We've got freedom. So now I want to shift gears, and I want to look at the time where we're living life, while we're working, taking care of kids, homes, shopping, cleaning, driving, what, whatever it is that you do most of the time, where we spend most of the time. Um, for some, it's spent in the car all the time. For others, you're home. Others are working. Wherever you are, this is where, this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. And I want to share some words why this is important for us. And this comes from Paul Tripp. And it's entitled, You Talk to Yourself. Paul Tripp says, No one is more influential in your life than you are. Because no one talks to you as much as you talk to yourself. <laughs> and I laugh because I, this, this is me. I have the ongoing conversation in my head. You're in an unending, incredibly important conversation with your soul every moment of every day. You interpret, organize, and analyze what's going on inside and outside of you. You talk to yourself about the past, you talk to yourself about the future, and you talk to yourself about what you're experiencing in the present. Right now, you're probably talking to yourself. <laughs> Even I'm doing that. I'm multitasking up here. <laughs> Terrifying, because now I've lost my place. <laughs> okay. 
obviously, thank, thank you, Lord. This is an internal conversation. If you had this conversation aloud, they would probably put you in a ward. But that's why it's so dangerous. You don't even realize that you're saying things to yourself, but you are. You're saying things to you that will shape your desires, your actions, and your theology. So that's why it's important that we shepherd our heart during the day, not just when our Bible's open. So you have a blue and orange spiral diagram in your papers. You may want to just pull it out. We're going to go through this rather quickly. Um, But this can help you diagnose yourself. So we're going to start with the orange spiral. And this is what happens when we don't shepherd our hearts during the day, throughout the day. It's wrong thinking versus right thinking. So you see up at the top it says, I desire plus I deserve equals I demand. And that's what happens when I'm listening to me, my thoughts, my reasoning, when I'm just listening and telling myself things that aren't true. So it starts with a desire. So a definition of a desire is to want something to long or to hope for. And remember, desires are not necessarily sinful or evil. One way to tell if a desire is sinful or evil is, do I want something more than I want God, or I'm willing to disobey God to get it? There are some things that we know automatically are sinful desires. Christ teaches that it's always sinful to desire something that God forbids. So an example would be lying, stealing, cheating, um, murder. We know right off the bat those things are sinful. God forbids them. We, we should not have a desire for that. Something that is clearly sinful needs to be immediately repented of. The Tyndall Bible Dictionary says, Evil desire, therefore, is not necessarily a desire for something that one might label as wicked. It is this, essentially the desire to have one's own way. One's own way. As such, it's idolatry, putting self in place of God. How do we distinguish between good and bad desire? Ultimately, there's one basic issue. Is a person's desire self-centered or a desire for God's will? The Bible teaches that the essence of sin is a determination to have one's own way. We also need to be careful on those neutral desires. For example, I may want a different house, a better car, to have children, to have grandchildren, to be respected, to be treated kindly. Not one of those things that I have mentioned is wrong in and of itself. It becomes sin when I want it at all cost and I'm willing to sin to get it or I become angry when I don't get it. So just take your desires and think about that. Then, 
it goes to that desire plus I deserve. And this is thinking that God owes me something. Thinking, I'm worthy of reward. Lord, I've prayed. I've given to you. I've done X, Y, or Z. Fill in the blank. And so because of that, I deserve something. And then it goes to, I demand. And I start demanding what I want from God. Now I'm not getting what I desire and what I think I deserve. So I start demanding, which leads to disappointment, discouragement, and despair. It's shaking my fist at God. It starts maybe with an open hand and quickly is closed, and now I'm shaking my fist at God. And if you look on the sheets at the orange spiral, you'll see the attitudes on the left. And this is, these are like symptom checker, okay? You can start looking and evaluating yourself and your life. Am I being prideful and arrogant? Am I being wise in my own estimation? Am I without peace? Am I bitter? A lover of pleasure? lover of comfort? Am I angry? Anxious or fearful? Ungrateful? Envious? Jealous? Hopeless? None of those sound like a believer. Some more symptoms on the the other side are the actions that we might see in our lives. I'm demanding. I'm loving myself. I'm boasting. I'm grumbling. I'm biting and devouring. Disputing, criticizing, and judging. Prayerless. I'm not asking God. I'm withdrawing. And I want to read the scripture on that one because I think it really... This is another way to diagnose yourself. He who separates himself seeks his own desire. He quarrels against all sound wisdom. That's Proverbs 18.1. A symptom of not shepherding your heart well is you start withdrawing from believers. And it's returning evil for good. This is not where we want to live. Now take a look at the blue diagram. And this is shepherding our heart, um, our thoughts, and our reasoning. It's right thinking, and it's an upward spiral. Oh, and I want to go back real quick to the orange spiral, because you will see what happens. Where's my spiral? Okay, I get disappointed discouraged and I'm despairing that spiral with our wrong thinking if we don't deal with it up at the disappointed part we can very quickly go from zero to 90 and be disappointed discouraged and now despairing and we're going to talk about what to do if you find yourself there but as we're shepherding our hearts throughout the day and we're making our request known to God, and we're being obedient and hopeful. We come out out of the pit. So it's taking what I desire, what I truly deserve, equals no demands. So what I desire, I hold that desire with an open hand before God seeking his will. 
Whether it's, I want to be married, I want grandchildren, I want this, I want that, I, I want to, you know, I want people to be kind to me. I'm going to hold that with an open hand before the Lord. And remember, if it's a sinful desire, don't even, don't, just get it out of your hand, okay? You can't, you can't have it, okay? Just know that. And if, if you're not sure, ask somebody, is this a sinful desire? Find an old lady at the church and say, is this sinful? We'll tell you. I, if somebody else won't, I will. Um, those of you that know me know that's true. Um, so we want to hold it with an open hand. Understanding what I deserve. What do I deserve? Romans 2, 5, and 6 says, this is, this is what I've earned for myself. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what he has done. That's what we earn for ourselves. That's all we could earn for ourselves. It's only because of Jesus that we get something different. God's word tells us what we deserve is wrath. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. God's word tells us we deserve death. And remember, for the believer, the worst day on earth is better than we deserve. And this is as bad as it will get and the harsh reality for the non-believer, the worst day here on earth is as good as it will get. Telling myself what I truly deserve helps me to think rightly. And I want to share about this book, The Greener Grass Conspiracy, Finding Contentment on Your Side of the Fence. We have it on the bookshelf, and this is the easy version of the book that Amelia read. Um, and I, I, you can tell, it's kind of beat up. I like this book. Um, understanding what I truly deserve, and this is what Stephen, and I'm not going to say his last name because I can't pronounce it, says, do you see how the gospel should obliter obliterate complaining? Complaining is almost always rooted in a faulty sense of rights and privileges. Each of us has a healthy list of things that we think we deserve. When life starts to short circuit and we don't get what we deserve, we start complaining. We imagine ourselves as the injured party who has every right to complain. But the gospel makes it very clear that the only thing we truly deserve is hell. God created us. And therefore, he owns us. As created, dependent beings, we owe him complete, unwavering allegiance and obedience. So we make our requests known to God with an open hand, understanding that what we deserve is wrath. Then we make no demands. So the attitudes we'll see when we're shepherding our heart throughout the day We'll see that we're submissive. We'll be content. We'll not be seeking our own way. 
not wise in our own estimation, will be humble, peaceable, peaceful, joyful, self-controlled, needing endurance, needing strength, and trusting God. The actions we'll see in our life will be making our requests known to God. We'll be patient as we wait. We'll be thankful. We'll be forgiving, gentle, kind, loving, overcoming evil with good. We'll be devoted to prayer and will not be vengeful. And I would encourage you, I did not go through the scriptures on here today with all of you, um, but if you're struggling, pull this out and start evaluating yourself. Use this um, to check up on yourself. So we make our requests known to God. That's at the bottom of the spiral. And then we're obedient. We walk in obedience. We're thankful. We're not grumbling or complaining. We believe that God is good. We're trusting in his sovereignty. And we will be hopeful. We will believe that all things work together for good to those who love him and are called according to his purpose. So ladies, if you find yourself in the orange spiral, what should we do? We should repent. And I do believe these times will come. We live in a fallen world. We live amongst fallen people. And we're going to have difficulties. Don't don't be surprised. If somebody told you becoming a Christian means your life is going to be easy from now on, they lied to you. Okay, go back to that person and tell them, you haven't read your Bible, okay? I mean, it just isn't the case. But I want to encourage you with just some habits, some things to be doing throughout the day so that when that storm comes, which it will, and storms come in all kinds of shapes and sizes, um, so that you're ready. We need to prepare ourselves. Um, and the example of why you want to do it today, now, um, the younger you are, the better, is I'm not going to take a 16-year-old out up on I-40 on an icy road, put them behind the wheel of an 18-wheeler and say, okay, drive, Okay. No, you don't do that. We don't, we don't just jump in the midst of the storm and try and figure things out. Sometimes God has that for us, but boy, if we can prepare ourselves, you know, we want to do that. So what, what, are, what does it look like? How do we shepherd our heart throughout the day? And I want, I'm going to give some reminders, Okay. Our goal isn't just to put on right thinking. That's not enough. We need to do that, but that's not enough. We want to glorify God in everything we do. 1 Corinthians 10.31 tells us, whether then you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And eating and drinking are mundane things that we do all the time. So whatever we're doing, we want to glorify God. We want to glorify God as we're driving, as we're eating, 
as we're vacuuming, as we're working, whatever it is we're doing, we want to glorify God. So as we're going throughout our days, one thing that I think it's important to ask ourselves, maybe if we're feeling like, man, I think I'm living in that orange spiral right now, or I'm maybe in the beginning of it. You want to ask yourself, how are you doing physically? Have you had enough sleep? Are you getting any exercise? How are you eating? Is it that time of the month? Sometimes we think that our physical body has no impact on our spiritual well-being, and we just blow right past that. Um, And I'm not making excuses. However, I think sometimes we can make some minor adjustments um, that will help our soul. I know for me, if I have a migraine, it's harder for me to obey God. I know I still am called to do that. But understand that. And understand that for others, the people that may live in your house. You know, if I happen to have two grandsons that get migraines and they're 8 and 10 years old. Well, when they're throwing up in a bucket, it's a little bit, I'm going to give them just a little bit more grace at that time. I would want that for me, if, you know, if, if I am kind of can't see straight. So I want to do that for others. So evaluate that, and maybe you need, need to make some changes there. Another thing you need to think about, what are you filling your mind with? Is it maybe country western sad song music is it tv that's not edifying your soul movies books magazines internet um an example would be you hate where you live you just can't stand what it looks like inside but you spend a lot of time looking at pottery barn magazine pottery barn catalogs they're not magazines pottery barn catalogs or you're on Who's house house, yeah, um, or maybe Pinterest all the time. Maybe you need to take that stuff out of your life. Um, so now that I've given the kind of little asterisks, here's some things to help you shepherd your heart throughout the day. How to tend or care for your soul throughout the day. First thing is. Pray. That's obvious, but ask for God's help. Psalm 139, 23, and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. <coughs> 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 says, Pray without ceasing. We need to be praying. We need to be asking for the Lord's help. And we see examples of that over and over in the Psalms. The psalmist pouring out his heart to the Lord. We need to do that. The second thing we need to do, and this is, I'm beating the drum, but God's word, um, Bible reading, scripture, memory, and meditation, studying the promises of God, that's how we renew our minds. We need to think on truth. Philippians 4.8 says, 
finally, brethren, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's right, whatever's pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. That is a command from Scripture, what we're supposed to be thinking on. From the Greener Grass Conspiracy, he says, speaking of the promises of God, which I mentioned, that this is kind of all-encompassed in God's word, okay? The promises of God are weapons in the battle against discontentment, and I added, and wrong thinking. For every temptation to be discontent or wrong thinking, there's a promise of God that meets that temptation. The abundant grace of God promised in the scriptures far exceeds any circumstance we encounter. But if we're going to fight discontentment effectively, we need to stockpile our weapons. When temptation strikes, we need to have go-to promises to sustain and strengthen us. There should be pages in our Bible that are tattered and torn from constant use. Now, I know back when I read from um, J.C. Ryle, I talked about, you know, we have no right to just read our favorite chapters. We need to be reading the whole Bible, but we do need go-to places. When we are in this storm, um, we need... We need to have those places where we can just take our our mind and our heart and our soul and put it there. Um, Okay, I don't want to cry, but um, those that know me know my mom died in March. And the couple months before were, were tough. Tough, tough, tough. I mean, every day at... We were in nine different places in eight weeks between hospital, rehab, assisted living. I mean, it, it, I didn't know where she was, you know. I mean, she was here in town. I knew where she was. But, like, it's like, okay, now where? All I could do was open my Bible to the Psalms. And every day, that's where I was in the morning before I'd get in the car and go be with her. Because that was about that was about the food I could eat at that time. Okay, so there are times, and that's okay. Um, I, well, I'm not going to do that. Never mind. <laughs> um, just know sometimes you'll be in that season. And again, those promises of God. And I just want to share, this is a few. And honestly, there are times where all I can do is, okay, I know that God will never leave me or forsake me. That's all I know right now at this moment. That's all I'm going to tell myself. God will never leave me or forsake me. God is always at work. Okay, God is working in the midst of this Okay, God, I believe you. God is with you and will give us all things. And that doesn't mean all things. He's going to give me a Lamborghini, okay? No, but God's going to give me everything I need for life and godliness. That is a promise from his word. We need to have our hearts anchored there. 
God is loving. His love endures forever. God will protect me from overwhelming temptation. God will always love me. The next thing that I want to encourage you to do um, in preparation for or if you're in the midst of a storm, study the attributes of God. Know God. Out on the bookshelf, and yes, I'm a book salesman. I get a commission from Omri. I'm kidding. Okay. Um, A.W. Pink's Attributes of God is worth having in your library. Um, your homework next week is to look at Psalm 103. You will be looking at the attributes of God. That's no some good places to go in your Bible to look at the attributes of God. Um, another good place to go is Psalm 145. And I just want to read a few of the attributes of God. And it'll just encourage you right this very moment. Um, 145 verse 8. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and great in loving kindness. Okay, if I'm struggling... That's all I need to think about right now. Wait a minute, Lord. In the midst of this, you are gracious and you are kind and you are merciful. Study the attributes of God. Know God. It will feed your soul. The fourth thing to do is spend time studying the heroes of the faith. Joseph, Job, Paul, Jesus, that's just a few. If you're struggling, read Hebrews 11 and 12. Think about those who've gone before us, that great cloud of witnesses. That's Hebrews 11 and 12. First Peter, that's a book where sometimes when we're discouraged, I will tell somebody if they're sharing what's going on, I'll say, go read First Peter. There is so much encouragement there. There's encouragement in God's word for us. The next thing I want you to do is remember your identity in Christ. And I'm going to now plug a sermon from SMED, and the date of it is August 31st, 2014. So you can go on the website... Go to Grace Bible Church, and you can listen to this message. Um, and this is, the, the title of it was, The Christian's Identity in Christ. And he read every one of these. This is, I think it's six or seven pages of our identity in Christ. And those that were in in the building when he read that it's like as he's reading it's like I'll just read a few and maybe you'll cheer afterwards <laughs> as the Christian you are the called of Jesus Christ you're one whose faith is credited as righteousness blessed forgiven inheritor of the world justified at peace with God saved from wrath reconciled under the reign of grace we're in Christ's death. We're in Christ's res resurrection life. We're not your old self. 
Okay, so he read all of these, and I don't know how many there are, but by the time he was done, it was like, this is who we are. Praise God for the believer. This is who we are. I would encourage you, this is what I have done. I have this in my Bible. If I'm struggling, I can pull this out, and I can read who I am in Christ and be encouraged. Yes, of course. August 31st, 2014. It's the Christian's identity in Christ. And you can print this off. We'll send you the link later. Oh, what a, okay. That's right. We can do things like that. But I would encourage you, for those of you that, you know, well, it looks like pretty much everybody has a Bible in print, um, a text rather than on their phone. But if you do, keep this in there. Keep this in your nightstand. If you're having a bad day, go read this, and you will be encouraged. And then you can listen to the message, and you can almost just hear. It is so encouraging to think who we are in Christ. Um, Along with that, you guys got this last time, right? The transformation of man chart. This is another one of those. I can be encouraged. Praise God. I'm not this guy anymore. Okay? God has, and I can look back and I can go, yeah, God saved me. I'm no longer without hope, without God. I'm no longer walking in sin. I'm not this guy anymore. I'm here. I'm turning yellow, and I have a new identity. I have good works. I have ongoing repentance. I'm enslaved to God, righteousness, and obedience. This is where I'm living today. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. And guess what? Someday, I'll be this this. This guy, these guys, you know, nobody, but then eventually we're getting that glorified body, and I'll be in an unmixed condition. There's going to be no fight within. If you're discouraged, pull this thing out. It will encourage your soul. One more tool in the toolbox. The gospel primer. Okay, this is the gospel. When you're struggling to remember that God saves sinners is huge. When I'm struggling and I remember, oh, I'm struggling with that sin again, but Christ died for it. You know what? There's encouragement. Okay, so these ones are for sale in here. Okay. So I get 90 cents. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I always t- I always call Omri before I teach. His, well, I don't always. That's an exaggeration. I didn't this time. But I usually will call him and say, Omri, I'm teaching. Please tell, please make sure you have this, this, and this in, on the bookshelf. Um, or I guess it's called the book table. I, I asked what the official name of that is. It's the book table, I think, but it's really a shelf. I, very confusing. We need, we need a catchy name for it. But, oh, well. 
Okay, the next thing that you can do that I do um, is singing and worship. Um, you guys have the songbook. If you're struggling, you can read the words from hymns and your soul will be fed. Or you can, if I can do it, you can do it. Get Spotify, go put Grace Bible Church's songs on your phone, and you can listen to, I call them our songs. We can listen to our songs, and I will tell you, it will feed your soul. In January, when my mom was still at home and lived 45 minutes away, and she was not doing well the month of January. We didn't know what was going on. Um, and I would drive up to her house, and when I drive home, I would play Spotify, Grace Bible Church, and I would, those hymns, I always worried if somebody saw me <laughs> belting it out. It's like, oh. But you know what? God has given us that. We live in a time where we have that available. Okay, I don't have to do it a cappella. Um, that's a good thing. And you know what? Colossians 3.16 encourages us to do this. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Okay, that's God's word. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Okay, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I can tell you, those songs, because sometimes when the storm is raging, that's all you can do, is just have that feeding your soul. And the nice thing about our songs is they've been vetted, okay? Josh is very careful, the music that we sing here. So I feel a lot more comfortable. And... Okay. What makes me sad is like I'll be in a restaurant and I'll hear songs from, you know, back in the 70s, back in the day, which is, and I'm like, oh, I know the words to those songs. I don't want that in my head, you know? I want, it's, it's the difference between dark in my head or light in my head. So just, just do that. I want to encourage you with that. The next thing is to keep other believers at close range. Fellowship is important, and that's why when we want people in small groups at Grace Bible Church. You need the body. You need people at close range. Hebrews 3.12 says, Take care, brethren, that there be not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We need each other. 2 Corinthians 7, 5-7 says, for even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, listen to what God did. 
He comforted us by the coming of Titus. He sent somebody. Okay? We need each other. So we need to do that. We need to be there for each other. And this is part of that. And small groups are part of that. And don't be the person, like Proverbs 18.1, that isolates yourself. And that's sometimes what our heart wants to do when we're in sin. We want to run away and not be around somebody that's going to tell us truth. Don't do that. The next thing is serve others. As 1 Peter 4.10 says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. When you are struggling, it still is helpful to serve others. And your service may shrink to this much if you're in the midst of a storm. And you may be the one that needs someone to serve you. But even in that, you can pray, you can text, you can reach out, you can help others. Um, The next thing is to be thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you. In Christ Jesus. And an example of this, um, of making, actually making a list of what you're thankful for, is Kimberly Kempiak. And Kimberly, um, most of you know who she is, but her husband died suddenly on June 19th um, with no, no notice. I mean, it. And what she did in the midst of what was clearly, I believe, the hardest time she's had in her life, she started recording God's goodness to her and her family. And at John's memorial service, she shared some of those, and it was moving. Um, So I want to encourage you, making a list of what you're thankful for, Even in the darkest of storms, God is good. And we we need to record that. Um, The next thing to do is keep eternity in view. Colossians 3, 1 and 2 tells us, Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, if you're a believer, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. In the Greener Grass Conspiracy, he says, Through Christ who strengthens us, we can be content in our loneliness and our disjointed relationships. But our longings for relationships should also remind us that this world is not our final resting place. In Christ, we can be truly content well on this earth, but we'll never be fully satisfied. The day of total, complete, and ultimate satisfaction is still coming. The day we see Jesus Christ face to face and look into the eyes of our Savior, we'll say, now I'm truly satisfied. The next thing, and this is especially 
if you're battling temptation, if you're battling just the storms of life, um, if things are really extremely difficult, do the next right thing, and then the next right thing, and the next right thing. Sometimes that's, you can only take five minutes at a time, two minutes at a time, one step in front of the other. Charles Spurgeon says, the very best thing in the world when you are nervous and troubled is to live by very short periods. Live by the day, or better still, live moment by moment. John 14, 15 tells us, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So keeping God's commandments, five minutes at a time, five minutes, moment by moment, that is what God has called us to do. So now I want to share from Cameron Dodd, and most of you know who Cameron is. Um, Her husband, Matt, died in July, and it was just 10 weeks after that that she wrote this. And what, as I read it, um, I was like, this is a picture of what I'm talking about, and you will hear it as, as I read. Kind of that, that struggle, but then what she did. It, and we do. We, we have struggles. But I just want you to listen to her words. Um, and I'll do my best to, to get through. As the dust has settled, and I have begun to feel the permanence and marathonness of this new life, rather than just know it, I have felt keenly a mat-shaped hole in my life. Like a well-run dry, I've seen it in my life, in my kids' lives, in my aloneness. I find myself trying to shovel in very, various things to make this hole less empty, and yet somehow it always returns in its exact shape and size. It reminds me of the picture in Jeremiah where God calls out Israel saying, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I've realized that the problem is not the whole itself, which God himself has done, just as the problem with Israel wasn't that they needed water. The problem is what I've been trying to fill it with watching television or reading articles that have no lasting eternal relevance or even hovering over Matt's things, his journals or notes or possessions or books. All of these things have their proper place and can be very good things. But when wielded as tools to reshape or rebuild a whole that God has made, my friends, they are useless and often end up exacerbating the problem not making it better. So the question becomes, with what do I feel this keening in my soul? The answer is the same as it was for Israel and found in the indictment against them, God himself. He is the fountain of living waters. Why content yourself with a cistern and a broken one at that? 
when the fountain will never run out. Jesus echoes the same call to one such thirsty soul when he said, If you knew who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The truth is that nothing will fill this hole in my soul but that which God offers to all and has already given to me. It's like being allergic and fatally stung by a bee, given the epinephrine, and then forgetting about ever getting the epinephrine and scrambling to inject myself with whatever I can find that I think might work. I have already been given the cure to my fatal problem and along with it the very best material with which to fill every hole that might ever ever give way in my soul. See, my sin is still my fatal problem and the root of all my brokenness, emptiness, and darkness. But God has delivered me from the domain of darkness and transferred me to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom I have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. When I forget that the biggest problem I have is not losing Matt, my goodness, how quickly that hole threatens to expand and swallow the rest of me. But I still have a race to run. God still has a purpose for me, and I am still saved, forgiven. When I remember these things, that hole is transformed into this well springing up inside of me, overflowing with living water that brings with it joy. The miracle in Genesis 1 was not the darkness, but the God who created light. When I remember these things, the darkness that threatens always to pervade is eradicated by light. And am I so different from everyone else in the world? Do we not all of us have holes in our hearts, our lives? Do we not all strive mightily to fill these holes in any way we can to numb their emptiness through distractions, through sin? And yet, I believe God puts these holes in us to show us that ultimately nothing can fill them but him. There is still sorrow, and that's okay. I loved Matt and love him still. But honestly, when I remember the truth of the gospel and the reality that the one who holds my lot is the one who created light and life and living water, there is so much joy inside my soul. And I sing with the psalmist, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. In your presence, there's a fullness of joy. Ladies, that's a picture of shepherding your heart in the middle of a storm. Matt's gone. He's not coming back. She is a widow at 33 years old with four little children. She's in a hard place. Yet God is her refuge and her strength. And ladies, we need to remind ourselves of that. I just want to go quickly through the disciplines. Amelia kind of really did it 
which I'm really glad, but she talked about it. So flip over your notebooks. And remember, our, our verse is Proverbs 4.23. Above all else, guard your heart, tend your heart, shepherd your heart, take care of your heart. Why? Because it's the wellspring of life. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you're putting in there is going to come flying out. So you want to put good stuff in there. The purpose, why are we here on a Saturday morning? To equip and encourage the women of Grace Bible Church to shepherd their hearts, to tend their hearts, to take care of your hearts toward Jesus Christ with the word of God so that we live gospel-transformed lives, thus strengthening the church in its gospel purpose. That's why we're here. We want to be women of God's word so that we can encourage one another, so long as it's called today, not with the latest, greatest thing that's out there in the world that's really the best the world has to offer. We want to do Shepherd each other's hearts with God's word. So the first thing we need to do, as Amelia mentioned, we want to take care of our own heart. The faithful woman of God shepherds her heart worshipfully toward God through the word of God, and in particular, the gospel. We do that so that then we can be Shepherding in our homes so that we can be tending for and caring for those around us. The faithful woman of God is concerned for those in her home and ministers to them with their heart fixed on God and his word. And then we can go to PNG. And again, you guys know it's not like a three-step thing. Okay, I, I... I can't go anywhere. I can't do anything because I, I'm not doing, I'm only doing a marginal job here. No, get your act together, okay? And start doing what God has called you to do so that you can minister to others with a heart fixed on God and keeping her God-given ministry within her home a priority. The faithful woman of God steps into the church in every part of life to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. It is important that we're doing what God has called us to do. Just like Amelia said, we don't want to just jump past our own heart because there's so many souls. But there's there's that balance. You know what? Do what God has called you to do where he has you. Don't give yourself that blanket excuse. Well, I can't do it because I, I, I don't know. I, I Do what God has called you to do. Be faithful. Be faithful and God will bring those opportunities to you. But as, as is said around here, don't leapfrog over your own heart because you will not be able to come along alongside someone as 
God may have you do. All right, ladies, please pray with me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you loved us so much that you sent your son to die for sinners. That's just an incredible thought. Just to even dwell on that just takes our breath away. You are a good God. You love us. You love us in the midst of the storm, and you care for us. We can cast our cares upon you. You do care for us. You are our refuge and our strength. You are where our help comes from, and we love you, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.